Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Consequence of Sound film editor Dominic Suzanne Mayer, host of Filmography, a filmmaker's podcast. On our new season, we're spotlighting the works of one of the true 20th century masters, Stanley Kubrick. From Fear and Desire to Eyes Wide Shut, we're examining the performances, stylistic choices, music, and all the nuances of these cinematic and cultural touchstones. Look out for new episodes of Filmography every week, new directors every quarter, and subscribe via iTunes or wherever you procure fine podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to episode number two of season two of Discography. I'm your host, Mark with a C. I'm not only a lifelong record geek and not only the host of this here show on Consequence Podcast Network, but I've also been releasing lo-fi pop records independently for nearly 20 years now. Discography is a show where we look at a great artist through the lens of only their canon albums of first release material to see who they really are and how it all stacks up. Discography aims to educate and inform those listeners who really want to know. All opinions are that of the person that said them because everything's subjective. And discography can be a pretty personal journey for yours truly, which you should probably know up front. So let's jump right in. Janet Jackson, singer, songwriter, dancer, actress, a household name, one of the biggest stars the Western world has ever known, and though she sold over 100 million records worldwide, very few have really poured through her canonical albums to see how they all stack up on their own. Here's a few things that you should know about how we're going to do this overview. First off, it's no secret that Janet's likely best known for her music videos. I mean, try to think of a big Janet Jackson song and immediately you get a visual that pops in your head. But I'm going to try my best to only look at her actual albums without really taking those into account all that much. Also, many of her biggest hits either only appeared on compilations, soundtracks, or as standalone singles. As a result, these tracks don't technically fall into the canon of full-length albums, so they're not really eligible for dissertation on this show. But how many opinions on, like, I don't know, Scream or The Best Things in Life are free do you really need? Also, warning in advance, if you didn't hear episode one, don't get me started on how good her B-sides can be. It's my hope to avoid looking at Janet through the lens of how she compares to her brother and the rest of her family. Instead, I'd like to see Janet Jackson as a standalone artist. And I'll personally only be bringing up the Jackson family when it's incredibly pertinent and unavoidable. In our first episode back, I took a deep dive into Janet's first two albums, which she's all but disowned, as well as finishing up with her first blockbuster, the album that would change everything for Janet, 1986's Control. If you're just joining us for the first time, I came into Janet Jackson's full-length albums completely green, totally wet behind the ears, just for you, just for this season. It occurred to me that since about 75% of my opinions about Janet's records are things I'd only recently taken in for the first time, I wouldn't have much of a chance to allow these albums to even try to stand the test of time. While this makes me relatively impartial, I thought it'd be fair to also have along 
a lifelong Jackson's fanatic here on the show with me. Not to mention a voice from the black community so we could also see how it all came across to someone who pretty much grew up with Janet all the time, but was really into the records. So you've got me, the newbie, you got my guest that'll be popping in from time to time. And his name, Captain Chris LeBrain. He's the cat behind the killer synth funk band, Chris LeBrain's Campaign. That's a little hint of the song Mental Love Affair, the first single. And he's also in a group called Universal Funk Orchestra and residents of Orlando, Florida, where discography is recorded. You'll likely know him best as Captain Chris, a DJ on WPRK FM who hosts his Anything and Everything show live from a stolen spaceship. I mean, can you think of a better guest than someone who broadcasts the best jams in the South from a freaking spaceship? I didn't think so, so we'll be talking to him on and off, and he'll be dropping by in just a few moments. But all right, folks, enough intro. You know why we're here. It's not like you just heard of Janet Jackson, right? Let's get back into the albums. Janet has just laid waste to sales records and crossover appeal with the Control album. That thing was unstoppable, and the world was waiting with bated breath to see if it was just a fluke or if this lady could keep delivering the goods on such a grand scale. This is gonna be a way weirder ride than you think. Strap yourself in, folks. It's time. Let's talk about Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation 1814, released September 19th of 1989, unleashed on a completely unsuspecting public. it. When Rhythm Nation 1814 dropped first in 1989, things could have gone very badly. In the 1980s, it wasn't the most common thing to take a three-year break between your releases, and doubly so if you weren't in the middle of touring. Yeah, I want to underline that as big as Control was, and despite the Control video making you believe that Janet was like totally dominating arenas, Janet had never even been on a major tour when she hunkered down in a Minneapolis studio with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis to make the album that the record label very much wanted to be Control Part 2 The Controlling. And when Janet decided, nope, you're gonna get your pop jams, but I'm gonna frame them in a somewhat bleak yet danceable album that kicks off with 15 minutes worth of socially conscious songs and interludes, that could have backfired in a massive way. The very fact that I'm talking about it in 2018 would probably be your first clue that it was, in fact, exactly the right move, but also full of songs that are absolutely beloved the whole world over. The cover of the album, Monochrome. Janet's clad in military gear, and when you drop the needle, you're welcomed into a new nation. Anyone can join, too. A nation within a nation, bent on two things. Recognizing the biggest problems in the world, and then... Dancing. And that's not a bad thing. Because we couldn't and can't expect a pop star or their record to fix everything, but we can certainly be thrilled at having some tasty jams to boogie to while watching more of Janet the person emerging over Janet, the ubiquitous star of television and radio who also happens to have some very famous relatives. She never sounded so strong, so powerful, and so undeniable until this record. 
Rhythm Nation 1814 is immediately set apart from its predecessor by basing the title cut on a loop borrowed from Sly and the Family Stone and a whole slew of swing. It'd only take a year or so for this same field to spread into new jack swing, which would absolutely dominate R&B and pop airwaves. Of course, swing, the very nature of swing, not, you know, the style of music swing, but the idea of, oh, hey, that's swinging, right? Trying to define swing itself is pretty hard to pinpoint and explain, and even Fats Waller once explained swing as something where if you have to ask, you'll never know. But the opening barrage of the title track, State of the World, and The Knowledge, one of my personal faves, slam dances its way through poverty, illiteracy, the crack epidemic, racism. If it was on the nightly news in 1989, it's addressed here, and the nation resoundingly says no to all of the above. Prejudice. Now, before I address what I perceive to be the elephant in the room concerning the album, I should probably talk about the wildly different instrumentation found on Rhythm Nation compared to its predecessors. Nearly everything here is the product of a synthesizer, but it's mixed with so many loops and samples of actual instruments that it can throw you off the trail of thinking that this was just cookie-cutter pop. So it isn't the dictionary definition of cutting-edge shit, but... Compared to the first three Janet Jackson albums, musically, this one can seem positively rough around the edges and even a little bit dangerous in comparison. Of course, it isn't really dangerous. There's not a hair out of place and nothing happens that isn't by design, but speaking of design, let's get to that aforementioned elephant. As I mentioned before, A&M Records were very keen in hoping for a sequel to Control, but ultimately, you do get exactly that. After a few songs of the, as you'd say in 2018, the woke variety, Janet says, Get the point? Good. Let's dance. And voila! Innocuous, pleasant, and enormously catchy pop songs start flying at you. Everybody gets exactly what they want here, but it's all dependent on how open you are to receive it and where you look for it. I tell you mama. You Much is the first song that follows that militant denouncement of the state of the world, and it was the first lead single for the record, and it's a tricky little bugger. If you hear it out of context of the album, say you were just, I don't know, driving around in 1989 listening to the radio, there's no chance you'd have seen the militant and socially conscious theme of Rhythm Nation coming a mile away. It merely screams, hey, Janet's back! Not just in the scenario that I described, but also with its placement as the fourth full song on the record. But the star of this track is, in my opinion, Janet's stacked harmonies, which helped propel the track all the way to number one on the Billboard Hot 100, where it stayed for not one, not two, but four weeks straight. And it's gone on to be one of her most beloved and instantly recognizable tracks. There's rarely been a Janet Jackson performance that didn't include at least a portion of the song. And the hits do not stop there. Love Will Never Do Without You, Escapade, Black Cat, this record is virtually its own greatest hits collection. I mean, there are seven top five singles spread throughout what initially appears to be a daunting and exhaustive track list, appearing to be 20 tracks, but in actuality, there are merely 12 traditional songs. 
Of course, those 12 songs clock in at an hour's worth of music, so it's not as if these interludes and skits are merely filler. In truth, the album is so overstuffed that the vinyl edition had to dispense with most of the interludes and utilize much shorter edits of the remaining tracks to even fit them on one functioning slab of wax. And I gotta do my public service bit here. This is a note to my fellow vinyl hounds. Rhythm Nation 1814 really is best experienced in full digitally. Now, if you know anything about me as the recording act Mark with a C, you know that if I am telling you, seriously, steer clear of the vinyl, go digital for Rhythm Nation, you know I am telling you the truth, man. I do not lie to you here on discography. So here's why. When they crammed the LP the way that they did in an effort to not spill over into two-disc material, it sounds to me like they had to drastically reduce the bass response, and that made it for kind of a shrill listen. Now, in 1989, vinyl was clearly on its way out the door by record label design, so this was probably the product of an afterthought. I'm betting that they probably didn't even think anyone would bother to play the vinyl version at the time. I mean, maybe a club DJ or something. Because in 1989, everybody's running towards tapes, CDs, etc. Anyways, I mentioned this because before I'd really taken the deep dive into Janet's catalog for this season of discography, I'd only ever actually heard or owned this album on vinyl, and potentially due to the removal of intensely important interludes and connective tissue, my first impression was that this record was an overrated mess, coated in way too much treble. I couldn't hear the full dynamics of some of the lesser known tracks, like Living in a World They Didn't Make, and it was only upon digital reappraisal that I started to see this as what it is, the moment that Janet Jackson arrives. Oh sure, she's been Janet Jackson, she's even been Miss Jackson, but this was the product of a beautifully symbiotic relationship between producer and artist, and while this thing still isn't exactly Dark Side of the Moon or anything, it's just better served on a sonic level in its digital incarnations. I've not heard it on cassette, so I can't really comment about that, but this is the rare time where I'm going to say if you want a best experience, Rhythm Nation, compact disc or streaming is the way to go. But back to what you'll find on all versions of the album, though. Escapade was reportedly the first song to be completed for Rhythm Nation, and it shows in a great way. The most straight-ahead beat on the album is married to an impeccable harmony-laden chorus, which is sort of becoming Janet's trademark at this point in her career. This tune was reportedly inspired by Nowhere to Run by Martha and the Vandellas. Janet originally wanted to do a cover of the song, but Jam and Lewis just said, hey, why don't you write something like it instead? And I was surprised to learn this tidbit because I'd have never connected any dots between the two tracks under any other circumstances. than one on Rhythm Nation, though, is the Smash crossover hit. It's called Black Cat. Not only is the song highly influenced by the popular hair metal stylings of 1988-1989, and not only is it the only song to prominently feature very upfront electric guitar, and not only is it the only song not produced by Jam and Lewis here, instead being produced by Jellybean Johnson, but get this, the sole writing credit given for the song is Janet herself. That's right. 
The least Janet Jackson sounding song on the album is the product of what happens when you leave Janet alone to her own devices. Imagine what the looks on the faces of the executives at AM Records must have been when they heard that for the first time. Here they are with their fingers crossed for a sequel to Control, and they get handed a hard rock song that's somewhere between, say, Vixen and Robert Palmer's Simply Irresistible. It's a massive left turn, not just for the album, but for realizing what Janet is actually capable. But anyone concerned that she'd be running off to join Slayer would be comforted as the album ends with a three-song quiet storm. It kicks off with the beautiful flamenco-inspired Lonely and the lush and aching strings of mega-hit Come Back to Me. Come back to me, I'm begging you please. Come back to me, I want you to. But to me, the real hidden gem here is the last full track, Someday is Tonight, which lyrically seems to be the spiritual sequel to Let's Wait a While from Control, but musically, it's a restrained six-minute ballad that seems to edge the tension a little bit more with each verse. It intensifies just a bit, but without any particular instrument taking the forefront. It's got a super understated rhythm, an out-of-nowhere horn solo courtesy of Herb Alpert, seems to flirt with free jazz leaning sometimes, and again, it's got such a layer of Janet's harmonies that the song could likely stand alone as a purely a cappella piece if they wanted to go that route. Understandably, much is made of Rhythm Nation's achievements, and not for nothing. At last count, Rhythm Nation sold around 12 million copies worldwide. It's the only album in history to generate seven top five hits on the Billboard Hot 100. Even Thriller's seven singles only cleared the top ten. This album's a juggernaut. Every single song could have been a single in its own right, and frankly, it's a lot more timeless than I thought it might be when I went into it. Of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out just how ahead of its time the album is. Musically, this sounds a whole lot like what mainstream pop and R&B would sound like in the early 90s, yet it was completely conceived and finished in the prior decade. It sent a template that countless artists are still following to this day. Rhythm Nation 1814 is considered to be Janet's masterpiece, and if you could only pick one of her records to give such a nomenclature to, well, you could certainly do worse than this one. From where this record geek is sitting, though, this album, it's pop lightning in a bottle. It's really just the moment where, in the eyes of the music industry, Janet would gain the right to do whatever the hell she wanted, and the world was merely lucky that this media visionary was eventually afforded such a chance on her own terms. Captain Chris, thank you so much again for joining us for episode number two. You went back and revisited this album that you'd grown up with. You knew it like the back of your hand. Did you notice anything different this time around? How's it holding up for you now, 2018, years later? Um, is it like revisiting an old friend? Or did you catch new things? Um, I continuously notice more on production. Just, you know, just basically because you get older, you get better ears on that sort of thing. I appreciate it more 
now than I did when I was nine years old, you know? And I really appreciated it then. So, I mean, from the messages she's given to the production that show, like, you know, that was shown out on that record, I, I think it's a stellar. And I think it does kind of change the game a little bit. Like they were already on the road with that, with Control, and they kind of expounded upon it. It was like, their elevation of their sound was kind of like the sequel to like what they did before. You know, she took it to a whole new level, you know, basically. I think that was when she was really in competitive mode. My feeling is that Control kind of lays the seeds for what would eventually become New Jack Swing, yeah. but this doesn't totally fall, Rhythm Nation, I mean, doesn't totally fall into New Jack Swing. So my belief is that they took the skeleton they had with the New Jack sound, for control, and then they threw in just the backbeat of hip hop underneath all these things that kind of could have fit on control were it not for this persistent, like, slam beat yeah. that continued through everything besides the quiet storms. Yeah, sure. Well, like, okay, like, um, for, for, for Rhythm Nation's sake, um, you know, the, the, the clangorous drums, like, you know, I think, like, that had something to like it almost seemed like they were kind of looking at almost everything you know almost like what can we do to put like every new sort of like i don't want to call it risky but dangerous element of music that's out there so we got hip-hop that's super got like a dangerous edge to it you know at the time and then industrial music has like a real underground vibe they had to be hearing something from that because there's a lot of like trash cans like went outside hitting that stuff maybe they were hipped into the pesh mode style of sampling i wouldn't put it past them because so, man they, yeah. did they do some brilliant sampling work brilliant sampling one. like you know to the point where it's like they they created some textures that we still hear to this day that I hadn't heard before that album. And you wouldn't even know some of these things were samples unless they tell you like that exactly. the major beat for Rhythm Nation is the smallest clip from Thank You For Letting Me Be Myself Again. And I would have never gone like, oh, just that, why can't, yeah, yeah let's make a song. <laughs> like like that's, that's the brilliance. But then on top of it, they put in this hammering beat. Yeah. I mean, and it's like got a hammering beat, and it's several beats. It's not just one beat. It's kind yeah. of almost like a polyrhythm because, like, certain, like, they seem to be using at least two drum machines on each track. Whereas, like, one's kind of doing like a real sort of 808 sort of thing. The other one's got like more of the louder, maybe SP 1200 type like samples, and they're just mixing it all together along with the same like Jam and Lewis trademarks of like uh ongoing pad underneath most things you would always hear that kind of going like if you hear a song like all right there's this like going through the whole song yep. does not let up but that is like a jam a jimmy jam like trademark you know almost like it, it just lays a track out basically and then from there just whatever they were throwing at it from like the crazy horns of the day to like all the crazy vocal samples you know there's a ton of that like vocal samples chopped up all over the place so they just created like a whole like landscape almost more than they did for almost any other album I think like Rhythmation might have been the one where they went the most technical on in a weird way it's kind of foolhardy to even talk this much about it because when you look at the record sales if, if you haven't heard Rhythm Nation 1814, you are in the minority. Yeah. Like, more people have heard this record on the planet Earth than have not heard it. Sure. So, 2018, Captain Chris, your highlights and your lowlights from the record. Highlights! Woo! 
the knowledge is number one. That's my jam <laughs> on that record. That's my favorite one. Oh my god. Why was that not a single? I know they made a video. They for made it. The one, it was like the video was in conjunction with the whole Rhythm Nation 1814 project, which was like the short film that like had Miss You Much Rhythm Nation and all kind of strung together with a story. I think Tyron Turner was in that, the guy from uh from a Minister Society, I think he was in that. Um I still think that that song, The Knowledge, like message-wise and the way it was produced is one of her best efforts to date. It's just like, I, I've loved that song since I was nine. For me, it's Knowledge and uh, Someday Is Tonight. Yeah. Th- those are my two jams. Oh, Someday, Someday Is Tonight is the mega, like, Quiet Storm jam right there, dude. With the Herb Albert, like, yep. horns at the end. You can't beat that. Also, for me, I like State of the World today only because it melts right into the knowledge on the versions that we heard. So let's see, low lights for me. There's not many low lights, you know, to to really be like spoken upon. I would say like a song like Lonely would be a low light, but at the same time, I like that jam. You know what I mean? It's like all those songs, you know, I think it's because it's the era of nostalgia. That was the big album, like more than Control, that was more like for my brother. But for some reason, Rhythm Nation is where I jumped on the train hardcore. And and yeah, and that was like, you know, I was I was I was a total fan kid. I was like writing the fan club and all that stuff. Got a got got a response back, and that was amazing. You got a response back? Not really a good response, <laughs> but like basically she was on the Rhythm Nation tour. I had wrote, I think I said something like, I really like your music and blah blah blah, you're pretty, probably, you don't know me. And then something like, say hello to your brother Michael for me or something. <laughs> you know, I'm always trying to get in there, trying to get into the Michael thing. But um they sent a postcard back. It was a it was a, a glossy picture of her. I'm on the, you know, 1990 Rhythm Nation World Tour, blah, blah, blah. And then it said, in, like, you know, in Curse of Love, Janet. And I thought she really wrote that. So I was oh, tripping. Oh, I was tripping for about, like, three weeks, dude, until I realized, like, yeah, this does look like photocopy. <laughs> but, oh, man. It was good. So cage match time. If you can only have one Rhythm Nation or Control, which one do you pick? Oh, man! Uh, I gotta go with Rhythm Nation. I, 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 am, I am loyal to that one because it's got so many jams. And if you really try to get your heart rate up and get some dancing going, that's the album. That's your cardio record. That's that is a definite cardio record. The only reason that those songs, or the slow songs are at the end, that's for your walk. When you're done, <laughs> that's your cool down. That's the soundtrack to looking for a towel. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to move on to Janet's 1993 self-titled LP. Now, this is not the first self-titled LP. As a matter of fact, this one is just called Janet, period. My love is blind, can't you see my desire? That's the way love goes. It was almost four years after Rhythm Nation. The music world was certainly foaming at the mouth for a new Janet album, and how could they not? 
Janet had proven herself to be the trendsetter, and her contract was up for renewal, and that meant that Janet could renegotiate to find herself an even richer woman with far more artistic freedom than she'd even enjoyed on the previous two albums. Eventually, Virgin Records snapped her up to the tune of around $40 million, and a 24-year-old Janet Jackson was ready to take on the world again with a nearly self-titled album, though this one would be devoid of any mention of her famous last name at all. It was time to find out who Janet really was. Or was it? Because yes, I'll admit that when you look at the Janet LP from a purely numerical perspective, it's one successful gamble. Six top 10 singles, 14 million copies sold worldwide, but what does Janet want to tell us? On Control, she showed up to say, I'm Miss Jackson, and here's how it's gonna be. Rhythm Nation, I'm Janet Jackson, and here's how it ought to be. And this time around, it feels like, hi, I'm Janet, and here's some songs I like. Emphasis on the name, Janet. As she's finally gotten her wish as a recording artist to drop her last name and be judged solely on what she could deliver as a performer and not just a member of a famous family. And as Jimmy Jam once said, if Rhythm Nation was Janet's version of What's Going On by Marvin Gaye, then the Janet LP is her answer to Let's Get It On. Now, this is dangerous territory for me to get into, and I'm fully aware of it, and I'm going to own it to the point of telling you my synopsis right off the bat. When taken as a whole, the Janet LP is not as good as the previous two albums. It's much longer, it's overstuffed, and it seems a bit unfocused. And that does not mean that it's not chock full of individually really cool songs, and that doesn't mean that it's not exactly the jolt that music needed in 1993. I'd even like to interject to say that if you grew up with the album, I don't blame you for thinking that my opinion is worthless and I'm slaughtering a sacred cow. I've got albums that I grew up with that I'd likely feel the same way about, but I'm hearing the album for the first time in full here in 2018, and it's just not quite in the same league as the two prior records. However, there's a lot, a lot to enjoy here, and I'm going to talk about the great parts, as well as the parts I'm a bit indifferent towards. So work commenced on this album just after the completion of Janet's starring turn in the film Poetic Justice. This album is a romantic and sensual chip off that block. The very definitions of love and intimacy were to be explored in great detail. And remember, the last thing that we'd heard was that someday is tonight. And I don't know about you, but I'm happy to hear about the next morning. We had the kind of night where morning comes too soon. We used the light from a flickering candle across the room to make the kind of shadows that only one thing could make. It's important to note that this record is a bit of a mild coming out party for Janet. That famous black and white Rolling Stone cover where she appeared topless, hands reaching from behind her to cover up her breasts? That was initially supposed to be the cover of the album, which was instead cropped to only show her face. That's a shame, too. If you'd been able to associate that full image with the first song on the album, That's the Way Love Goes, this ride might have made a lot more sense from the get-go. And come on, you know that song. It samples Papa Don't Take No Mess, it turns the New Jack part of the swing down to a rolling simmer, and oh, it was a number one single for eight friggin' weeks. You've heard the tune, and it starts the album on a downbeat and almost kind of coy note. And a bold choice to kick off so musically modest, but uncharacteristically forward in the suggestiveness department. And you can't really pinpoint a specific lyric that defines suggestiveness, it's just the delivery itself. And again, there's no way you don't know that song. Grammy Awards. Three million copies of the single alone were sold worldwide. It's one of the biggest songs in the history of South Africa alone. It's the 17th biggest hit of the 90s, period. So the rest of this album had an insanely hard act to follow, and it tries its best. 
but where Janet Jackson once owned every single genre she tried her hand at, this particular Janet album feels like they're trying out a bunch of new stuff just to see what fits. And there's some growing pains, and it doesn't all always work, and that's fine too. Perfect records are hard to come by. But at 75 minutes, there's no arguing that the Janet LP could have been a bit more focused, especially when the highs are as high as that lead single. And the samples continue, with You Want This being made up of pre-existing tunes from Cool and the Gang and the Supremes, and you might be familiar with a single version that injects a rapped verse from MC Light, but the album version has five minutes of stacked Janet harmonies over some really creative samples. Must have been a dance floor killer at the time. Though That's the Way Love Goes is the big door-busting single here, it's another song that would likely leave the most lasting impression and pave the way for where Janet was heading. The track is called If, which came complete with a genre-defining music video and dance segments that some would say rival her brother's dance sequences in his videos in the quality department. Musically, If marries distorted wails to acoustic guitars to club-banging beats, and on paper it doesn't make any sense at all but just one pass of that chorus, and bam, the confident Janet who's ready to lay down the law shows right back up to tell you how things are gonna be. Though the song is lyrically representative of a lady fantasizing about a man seen at a club, and this was pretty heady stuff for an artist that had, up to this point, delivered relatively benign lyrics about physical situations, well, also it samples Sledgehammer by Peter Gabriel, and that's not something that the meek would ever take on. Regardless, if leaves just enough to the imagination to be anything that the listener wants it to be, but we, we all clearly know what she's talking about. focus that I was mentioning before though starts right around the seven minute track known as This Time. It's a slow burner and it's rife with barely concealed anger and regret and even comes with an operatic breakdown courtesy of Kathleen Battle. The super confident Janet is on full vocal display here taking the subject to task for running around with nasty hoes and still finds a way to reference the album's lead single and the lyrics and as some non-sampled instruments find their way in for a nice slide into what the rest of the album's going to offer it's hard to not see This Time as a transitional song on a transitional album. It's a bit of a drag that This Time isn't a stronger track in general because it takes up seven of the first 20 minutes on a 75-minute album, where Throb jolts you back into house music territory with no warning, and while it's going to be controversial to bring up, Janet sounds positively swallowed up by the production of Jam and Lewis. In fact, though Janet is the bright spot in what's an otherwise kind of run-of-the-mill club track, her vocals are pushed way down into the mix, but that may be by design, though. It's the most frankly sexual lyrics we've heard yet from Janet, and they may have wanted to bury them in the mix to not alienate younger listeners who just wanted to dance. But then again, they didn't really bother to mix down all the moaning at the end, so maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Now, to these ears, the biggest misfire on the album is the only track not produced by Jam and Lewis. It's a tune called What I'll Do, 
which is another track brought to us by Jellybean Johnson of Black Cat Production fame. And sure, the guitar-driven bluesy rocker is definitely the last thing you'd expect after the house music-driven throb, which you just heard a bit of, but unfortunately, to these ears, it just doesn't fit. And really, I'm not totally sure that it fits the album at all. The brass is cool, though. And that's the biggest hang-up for me with this album. Janet was setting the trends, and now, here, it sounds like she's merely testing out the ones that already exist. And in many cases, she bests whatever genre she tackles. And when it doesn't work quite as well, it just seems to take up room and makes the record a less focused statement. Case in point, New Agenda has all the ingredients to be the centerpiece of the album. But when Chuck D is brought in to rap from right at the get-go of the tune, he's mixed even louder than Janet herself. Now, it's not uncommon for Chuck D to steal any show you put him in, but Janet sounds like the guest star on New Agenda, and that's a bit problematic, especially when she addresses the troubles she's faced on a daily basis just for being an African-American woman in the second verse. More punch and less mixing gravity given to Chuck D, and you could have practically had a sequel to Rhythm Nation here. Instead, it's stuck in the unfocused portion of this very long album, and it can kind of get lost in the mix, no matter how many great Stevie Wonder samples it's built off. ready and fully formed Janet Jackson pop will be thrilled with songs like Because of Love, and you'd be hard pressed to find a finer ballad in Janet's entire catalog than the simple, sparse, and classic song called Again. There's piano, strings, and just Janet singing a beautiful and sentimental melody. Critics actually called again overly sentimental and cheeseball. But come on, guys, this is Janet Jackson. It ain't gonna be King Crimson, and you can't treat her like she's supposed to be dropping high art on you. Janet Jackson specializes in pop, R&B, dancing, and songs so catchy that they're practically part of the very DNA of our Western culture. Plus, after touching usage in the film Poetic Justice, this song became her very first Oscar nomination. And we stay down tempo with a bit of a swing for Where Are You Now, and I'm actually quite surprised that this one was passed over as a single in favor of decidedly less immediate material like Throb and What I'll Do that the label was pushing. But it's a nice surprise for someone who knows all the singles like the back of their hand to find some material of the same quality buried in the second half. And ditto for the very understated and vibraphone-led song, The Body That Loves You. jams don't stop there. We've got the sound of a rainstorm framing the subtle syncopation of any time, any place, which is about, brace yourself, sex in public. And what a sultry tune. Fittingly, there was a remix of this track by none other than R. Kelly, and that's the one you've most likely heard on the radio, but this is a great example of one of Janet's biggest strengths. Deceptive ballads that seem as if nothing much is really going on instrumentally, but if you were to take one single element away, it'd all fall apart. 
her ballads are getting increasingly sophisticated. They've never been a slouch or anything, but a really positive aspect of the Janet LP is just how solid the album closing Quiet Storm really is when compared to the give or take up and down nature of the preceding tracks. The best surprise on the Janet LP is that, sure, you think it's going to end with another Quiet Storm, just like the previous two albums, and then a hidden track known as Whoops Now swoops in and sends you off dancing and bouncing. Catchy and fun. Whoops Now is a dark horse contender for one of the best tracks on the album. safe to say that, in my opinion, the album known as Janet is certainly a mixed bag. When it's successful, it practically lifts off the turntable and achieves flight on its own. And when it's not quite as good, it just sounds like it could have been made by any number of other artists. Even Jam and Lewis don't sound as immediately identifiable this time around. It's easy to see the increasingly direct nods to love and intimacy as a precursor for where Janet would go next with the Velvet Rope, but ultimately, the album achieves its highest heights when Janet and her individual personality takes center stage. Chris, I walked away from the record Janet feeling like it was a huge artistic leap, but I still don't like it quite as much as what preceded it. First two albums notwithstanding, right? Like musically more mature thematically certainly more mature emphasis on underline mature for adult audiences but the vibes are a lot more developed uh, a lot more mature but why do I feel like it's still kind of a letdown I think with with her change into that album I, I think that just brought forth a change in the sound that they were trying to present it was almost like a reinvention of the person that we already got to know so Prior to that, like, okay, in the early start, like, notwithstanding, like we said, the first two albums, because, like, she doesn't really have full control on that. Now, control is where she has the control. So, they kind of present her as this sort of, like, really kind of street, tough-ish character that's, like, super... I don't want to say superhuman. Michael Jackson had the more superhuman thing. But she was very much, you know, a concerned, almost, like, weird sort of, like, crime-fighting, like, (laughs) dancing, like, girl-next-door, big-sister type. Here comes 93, and now... She's all grown up, and she's the woman in the apartment next door, you know, and it's a whole different vibe. So I think with that vibe came forth a a different, like, shift in music, and because the music was so heavily based on that subject, a lot of slow songs came forth, you know, and, and, and it wasn't as bombastic as Rhythm Nation, I would say. The landscape of how music sounded changed, you know, like that harsh sound didn't really, you know, I guess lend itself towards that sort of like new sort of post New Jack Swing 90s R&B. I feel that the Janet LP is transitional. You can't get uh, from Rhythm Nation to Velvet Rope unless you stop at Janet. But to the millions upon millions upon millions of people who bought that record and with the knowledge that some of those people only bought that record did not care about the rest of Janet's career. To them, it's not a transitional record. 
it's definitely transitional like i mean people think it's standalone only because it's such a drastic change from rhythm nation you know like if you even look at the covers from like the the art deco of control to the black and white like you know i don't want to call it somber but like just the stoicness yeah, it's stark as hell. Um, yeah, yeah, stark and stoicness of Rhythm Nation to just that croppedness of her face, or if you had the long boxes, right. you got a little bit more. I'm just, yeah, it seems like, oh, this is some, like, just, you know, she just went on a, a on a tear, and this album came out. It's like, no, that's the progression of a, of, of a young, young woman, basically, you know? And people fail to realize how much time has passed. Rhythm Nation is 89, Janet is, what, late 92? 93, I think. Or 93. I think. So, in that period, I mean, that that's that's a good chunk of time gone, you like know? Nirvana's happened and yeah, gone exactly, pretty much in this period. pretty much, you know? Prince has change this name to a symbol like these things like time has progressed you know and it's one of those things where so i never looked at it as like just a one-off it was like okay well this is where she's going you know i've always looked at like her careers okay this is where she's at at this moment or at least this was a record of why we haven't seen you in so long this is like you know almost like your journal of like okay this is what i was up to and this record came out and for me yeah the energy was different but at the same time I was a little different, you know, it was sort of like, you know, I was a little bit older and I was sort of like, all right, well, I mean, it's still more adult than I probably should have like, you know, dunked into it at 13. But I was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a guy of the world. I can figure this out, <laughs> you know? With all that being said, like the energy did lack in terms of what was going on outside of the realm of Janet Jackson, you know, like in hip hop and like R&B music. Yeah, it was very much still a very kind of like hype jumping around sort of like, you know, dance fest. It was starting to be on its way out. But, you know, I would think that Janet kind of ushered in sort of a, a cooler. Yeah, the smoother, the smoother era to side come. of things. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're never going to get to even a, a Puff Daddy without no, this no. record in particular. So what works for you best now and uh, anything that doesn't? Um, what works for me best, I mean... If it's just a mega jam, you know, that's probably as, like, as raucous as you get on the record, aside from, um, Funky Big Band, that's another one. Like, I liked all the weird ones. I liked Funky Big Band, I liked uh, What'll I Do. I See, I'm parting company with you on that one. What'll I do? To me, I felt like, you know, that's, I think it was the Jelly Bean Johnson produced track. Yeah. So my theory was that Black Cat was sort of a shot in the dark on Rhythm Nation, yeah. and it was so successful that she kind of like had to do another yeah, Jelly Bean track. But this one sounded, in comparison to me, really generic. on a rock track she seems to handle it well like to do that sort of like that hybrid of like you know having a little more of a rocky sort of like feeling and then her kind of like 
smooth kind of vocal over it. And just that song, I just always liked that chorus. You know, like, <laughs> I, 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 never, I didn't really like the end of with the hey, 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 that's what I say. It, it was always the chorus, you know, like, that would keep me roped in. 13-year-old Chris was all about it. And I, you know, I heard it recently because we were reviewing everything, and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember. I used to really get down to this track. But Funky Big Band was the one that, like, I really, like, resonated with. All the other ones fall into place. There's not too much that I can say on that record that I was like, oh, you know, this is, like, my weakest point. Again might be the weakest. Only! Oh! Man, you, we really but you did have part. Hear me out. I you you have the floor, but I can't. I know. I can't I, not be, gasp. Be, before you before your gasp is like you know like rendered wasted. I want to let you know what I'm saying. Again, is the lowest point. Only in energy is is the lowest point. When it comes to lyrics, it might be number one because of the sentiment in it. It's just one of those things where it's like, that album for me, I was so wrapped into that album. There's like, you know, it's not like a Rhythm Nation wrapped into, but it was sort of like, I was so honed in on that record that every track seemed to fall right where it needed to fall. So even again, which I would say is, uh, and I won't even say it's the least enjoyable. It's like, I can't even go that far to say I don't enjoy the song. I enjoy the whole record. Everything else I think, oh, okay, well, this rhythm in, or this lyric got there in my head before again did. And again was played so much. Let's not forget, you know, like that video was on a hell of a lot. At that point, I did have cable, so I was completely aware of, again, being saturated. Yeah. I also never really paid much attention to the beauty of the track until now. That's that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, like, if I'm, yeah, you listen to it now, it's like, it's a masterful song. And it's one of those songs where it's like, I don't even have to hear it. I can still hear it in my head. You know, it's one of those songs where it's been in there so much. I can't exactly hate nor love a song that constantly I can just pull up like a jukebox, <laughs> you know. What I remember from that era is, you know, once again, the visual of Janet and the abs was like, you know, the thing that was standing out because there was a mention of it on the VMAs, uh, in the, uh, the 1993 VMAs hosted by Christian Slater, right before she performed. He was like, you know, ladies and gentlemen, the sexiest belly button I've ever seen, Janet Jack, <laughs> something, like something like that, to the effect of that. And yeah, it was and like- And you get a bigger picture of that belly button on the Bow, vinyl version. Look at it. So sometimes it pays <laughs> to be a hipster. Indeed, indeed. I remember like a, a few years after the record, I bought the big poster and my parents just looked at me, I was like, come on, man. Like, just leave me alone. <laughs> like, it's all good, <laughs> you know, but- yeah, you know, with that album, I, Janet, I wouldn't say she changed a game, but she did give it a, a new avenue. She gave, like, that sort of chill R&B, and I don't want to say that, you know, she, you know, that album was a harbinger of things to come when it comes to, like, smoothed out R&B, but it definitely did set a trend of not always having to beat a person over the head with your hardest stuff because um she actively chose that's the way love goes as a real like just smooth lead-in single where they wanted to i think hit him hard with it first but she wanted to go the smoother route so she i guess she knew what she was doing on that one and this feeling goes on one that we're going to cover this week 
couple of things I want to tell you about. First of all, thank you so much for listening to Discography. There's so much that you could be out there checking out entertainment-wise in the world today, but you landed here, Consequence Podcast Network, Discography. If you're having a good time and you want other people to have that same good time, we can't tell you just how much your word of mouth means to us. If you know somebody who would be way into hearing us go into this deep dive about Janet Jackson, a big Jacksons fan, please share this in your Facebook feed, Instagram, whatever, however you can share it, please, please do so. We'll be forever in your debt. Also, if you're having a good time and you want more people to be able to join in with that good time, one of the best ways that you can do that is to go to iTunes and rate and review us, preferably a high rating. Come on. We're okay, right? There's worse podcasts out there. Believe it or not, the more ratings and reviews we get, the more people can find out about our shows. We're not just saying it because we got egos that we need stroked. This is how podcasts get found nowadays. So really, Discography's growth is up to you, and we can't thank you enough for sticking around and being part of the show. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. If you dug a bit of what Chris LeBrain does, you know, earlier when I played you a bit of his last single, Mental Love Affair, you can check it out at crystalbrainscampaign.bandcamp.com. I highly recommend that Mental Love Affair single, and I've heard some tracks from the album that's coming, and oh man, you people are not ready, but... Let's just say you're going, hey, Mark with a C, you said earlier you've been making records for a long time. What's up with that? You can find out what's up with that by going to markwithac.com. You can stream pretty much anything I've released. Most of the major records are there. They're also on Spotify if you want to skip around a little bit, check stuff out. But markwithac.bandcamp.com, that's where you can really do some damage, good damage, of course, in supporting me. If you like what I do, if you dig any of the sounds that I make, please, please, please pick up a CD, a record. There's even cassette tapes, maybe a t-shirt. I don't know if there's going to be any t-shirts left by the time this episode gets released, but... But really, that's kind of besides the point. But listen, if you really want to support me and discography, here's what you can do, and it will benefit you. Patreon.com slash Mark with a C. That's Patreon.com slash M-A-R-C-W-I-T-H-A-C. All right, so what happens at Patreon is it's basically like a monthly tip jar that you can sign up for. You know, uh, as little as a buck a month. But the more you donate, the cooler the perks get. 
And one of the neat perks that you can get at patreon.com slash Mark with a C is I've actually been running another podcast on and off for years and years and years called The Real Congregation. It started off on WPRK FM in Orlando, Florida, became a podcast on the Nerdy Show Network, and then eventually became an exclusive podcast that you could only get at my Patreon. But for just a buck a month, you can get at least one new episode per month, sometimes two. Depends. Mostly two. Mostly two. And what am I doing with all that money? Am I just out there, you know, rolling around in it Scrooge McDuck style? No, no, I'm putting all of that money towards, well, first of all, being a musician, sometimes you need supplies and equipment upgrades and whatnot, but the bulk of the money is going towards music videos and all the stuff I've got in store to celebrate the 20th anniversary of being the recording act named Mark with a C. And two of the things that I'm working on that I can tell you about are one is a really cool 3LP, 2CD set, a sort of like uh, the best I've done in the last 20 years, and a book, the memoirs of an underground DIY kind of culty musician, because our stories don't really tend to get told until we've passed away, and then they're always told incorrectly. Wouldn't you rather have it told incorrectly from me? And you can help me make all of these things a reality by supporting at patreon.com slash mark with a C. But wait, what if you want to just talk about discography? You've been listening to me a lot. What if you've got some stuff you want to say? You want to take part in the discussion? Great, we can help you do that. You can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at MarkFi. That's M-A-R-C-F-I, as in there's lo-fi, hi-fi, mid-fi, and MarkFi. Also, Facebook.com slash Mark with a C Music. That's a page where it's, you know, pretty self-explanatory. And of course, there's Discography's Facebook page, which is uh, usually the easiest way for us to all, you know, congregate. You can just search for Discography in the search bar, but, you know, if Facebook's weird, it doesn't always work out in your favor to do so. So if you want to go directly to the link and have a chat, facebook.com slash discography on CPN. That's discography on CPN as in Consequence Podcast Network. We look forward to hearing from you. We hope you're having a great time with the series. And now I am so excited. We're going to hit the uh, the last record we're going to talk about this week. But this is a good one. On October 7th of 1997, Janet Jackson foisted onto an unsuspecting world an album called The Velvet Rope. And that's the one we're going to talk about right now. It's my belief that we all have the need to feel special. And it's this need that can bring out the best in us, yet the worst in us. This need created the velvet rope. If you've been listening to discography for any length of time, you'll know that it's really out of character that I'd play the full intro to an album like that. But if I didn't do that here with The Velvet Rope, I'd instead be trying to explain it for the better part of an hour, and I might just be doing that anyways because there's a lot to unpack on Janet's 1997 masterpiece, The Velvet Rope. Towards the end of the tour that preceded coming into the studio to work with Jam and Lewis on The Velvet Rope, Janet wasn't feeling so hot. And that's akin to saying that Charlie Brown is kind of fictitious, water is kind of wet, and Earth is only kind of in space. Janet 
had a hardcore case of the blues that encompassed body dysmorphia, eating disorders, childhood traumas, and a laundry list of personal issues that kicked the Velvet Rope sessions off to a really rocky start at first in Minnesota. Jam and Lewis were often left confused in the studio for days, wondering if Janet was going to show up at all. And some might chalk that behavior up to celebrity psychosis, which is a phrase uh, coined by Mike Nesmith in his autobiography called Infinite Tuesdays. But in this case, they could also tell that Janet was distracted, to say the least, when she did show up for work. Instead of taking a year off out of the public eye to get herself back into fighting shape, Janet pours it all out into this, one of the more therapeutic, relatable, groundbreaking, and important albums in the history of popular music. And a lot of hubbub surrounded this album at the time. Most of the chatter revolved around the sexual aspects, some BDSM, some intimation that Janet might be bisexual, and some words in support of LGBTQ plus folks. But really, these are relatively short moments in a huge album that may sound quite a bit like a time capsule of 1997 pop trends, but lyrically, it's the type of record that everyone would be bending over backwards to try to rush release in 2018 to sound as woke as possible. It's impossible to understate just how far ahead of its time the Velvet Rope actually is thematically, and for a record that's around 20 years old while I'm talking about it here, it's also worth noting how fresh it still sounds today. The title tracks an extension of the theme brought up in that intro, while it also samples tubular bells and finds its way to a beautifully nightmarish guitar solo that sounds like it was ripped right out of Adrian Ballou's work with David Bowie. At first, it sounds like a barely updated take on the laid-back grooves of some of the more successful experiments on the prior album, but repeated listens reveal that this album is just going to be its own little world, and the onus is upon you to allow yourself to inhabit it. swept up by the second track, subtly titled You, and it's built on a lyrical motif that more or less hammers home a sort of you-do-you theme in multiple ways. The groove? Dig the groove. It's mostly built off of the song Cisco Kid by the band War, who I happen to think is one of the most underrated groups of all time, and I have to wonder... Does it work this way for other people? You hear a song built from a sample of a track that you already deeply love, so do you just love the derivative version as much because, well, it borrows so heavily from the original material that you can't really help adoring the new take? Whatever your answer, you, it's a killer track, and I've been won over despite coming into this album with reservations after the unfocused nature of the previous album. And ditto on Got Till It's Gone, which is built off of a hugely recognizable sample from Joni Mitchell's Big Yellow Taxi. Now this was used as the song that had introduced audiences to The Velvet Rope. Not necessarily a traditional single, but the first taster of Janet's new statement. And as the hook is built off of a pre-existing and previously successful hook, and frankly, around one-fourth of the lyrical elements are developed and delivered by Q-Tip, beyond a great and laid-back 96 beats per minute groove, there's actually not a lot of, well, Janet in what was still a pretty successful single that you still hear in supermarkets from time to time. Right. When talking about this record, people often like to go on and on about a skit known as Speakerphone, which includes Lisa Marie Presley and hints of implied masturbation and phone sex. As those two factors are pretty much all you need to know about it, I'd rather dwell on tracks like My Need, which is built on a hypnotic sample from Love Hangover and those patented Janet harmonies. 
If you're just reading the lyrics, it seems kind of slight, but when you consider that the let's not worry about what tomorrow brings type of lyrics are coming surrounded by moans from the lady who was known for tracks about abstinence and was now an international superstar, that the average person would assume she's safe as milk and corporate, and parents probably thought she wasn't a bad role model for their young kids, that's when the heaviness of what Janet pulled off with the Velvet Rope starts to really sink in. It's a genuinely subversive record because there's next to no chance that anyone saw what or who this new Janet was going to be and what she was going to bring, which is also the most dangerous thing to be as a superstar, an unapologetically honest and vulnerable one. And Velvet Rope could have gone into some easier superstar trappings, some lyrics about the price of fame or something else along those kind of predictable lines. Instead, this household name drops an album that got banned in Singapore. Not, Not censored, censored, but, but outright, outright banned. banned. Janet is all grown up now, but she's figuring things out in front of you, and this marks the biggest departure we've seen from Miss Jackson yet, not to mention the way the album that she relies on mid-tempo and jazzy excursions for the most satisfying moments. These beats don't slam you in the eardrum like nasty. Instead, these songs may be shorter than they feel, but Janet, she's not in a hurry this time around. The most Janet-esque song to these ears show up and go deep, and it's kind of straight-ahead stuff. You know, let's go to the club and take home a guy that catches my eye. But where an earlier incarnation would have gone for a slamming rhythm, this new phase sees Janet letting the music slowly seduce you. This music doesn't pursue you. It waits for you to come to it. And this might make for less immediate singles, but it makes up for it in the replayability department in spades. Meanwhile, tracks like Free Zone, zone being spelled X-O-N-E, is among those tracks that demand your attention rhythmically, but it's also based on samples from Archie Bell and James Brown, so that just kind of comes with the territory, really. But my gut, my gut tells me that it was completely intentional. Janet intonates the verse lyrics about homosexuality and discrimination rather quietly, but she wants to get your attention. Free Zone is home to one of the sweetest horn breakdowns you're likely to ever hear and allows the music to take center stage until the recipient is ready to hear the inherent message. That love really ought to be the one place where one wouldn't put limits on how they can or are supposed to feel. Elsewhere, the bittersweet Together Again is a tale about losing a loved one to the HIV and AIDS epidemic, but okay, so my immediate assumption here is that this song kicked off as a ballad, but then they decided to do sort of a club remix in the studio, and all of a sudden realized that the change of pace was going to be the key to making this a guaranteed dance floor burner and massive single. Again, that's just an assumption, it's based on nothing, I have no factual evidence to back it up, and one doesn't usually associate that type of lyrical subject matter with dancing, but man, this chorus? would help propel together again into a single that would sell 6 million copies, and it's basically one of the top 100 most successful singles of all time. So I think they might be onto something, you know? But, um, okay, so let me interject some personal stuff here. 
well, not really personal per se, but not 100% Janet content. As you might have gleaned in the intro to this episode and the litany of links and uh, plugs that I mentioned, I'm an independent musician, and a lot of my material could conceivably be classified as falling under the singer-songwriter banner. In the last decade, some of my most enduring, popular, and deeply personal material has been about technological paranoia and the dividing line between how each new tech toy purports to bring us closer together while generally pushing us further apart. I mean... It ain't Tolstoy, and it's a theme that gets easier to write about with each passing year, but Janet is like second only to possibly Pete Townsend in having written about this topic long before it was a twinkle in the rest of our eyes. 1997's The Velvet Rope saw the inclusion of a song called Empty. That's about that very topic, and hey, it's better than most of the attempts I've heard, and the synth louve? I mean, you just can't even argue that this thing's practically the precursor to Vaporwave. And it's really important to me to note those bits that are so far ahead of its time because this album is basically the template of the shape of R&B to come, a handbook that most are still following to this day, evidenced by records like Thursday by The Weeknd or 808s and Heartbreak by Kanye West, and in any number of bite-sized singles by, say, Kelly Rowland or Il Angelo or Frank Ocean or really basically the bulk of current R&B as we know it. Make no bones about it, The Velvet Rope, more than any other record bearing Janet's name, is quite possibly the most important pop R&B album since Thriller. And if you disagree, I ask you to point to an album that predates this one, but hits all of the same marks that I've mentioned. And don't come at me with Desiree jokes, because that's just a low blow and you know it. Now, I'll admit, in preparation for this project, I tried to do a relatively deep dive into Janet's life, but attempted to keep what I learned on the gossip side of things to a minimum, unless, of course, that drama was absolutely paramount to understanding her work. And when I first heard the song called What About, I immediately assumed that she'd broken up with her spouse at the time, Renee Elizondo Jr., but I was dead wrong. Hell, he co-wrote the song, along with a lot of the other tracks on Velvet Rope. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, but a scorned woman can't compare to a scorned Janet. gossipy side of things, many have assumed that this song could be about her early marriage to James DeBarge, but in reality, Janet has just succeeded in writing a pretty universal breakup song, and it's too easy to make those assumptions about who directly influenced this particular set of lyrics when so many people can relate to a line like, what about the time you said you didn't fuck her, she only gave you head. If there's a downside to the Velvet Rope, it's the rather predictable fact that the back quarter of the album is yet another cluster of ballads in a closing quiet storm, but that's only a surface complaint. I mean, as I've stated, no one does ballads like Janet Jackson, and a song like Every Time might seem like utter drack in less capable hands, but the beauty here is just how deceptive the quiet storm section seems. And I gotta admit, I was a bit shocked at Tonight's the Night, a cover of that cheeseball Rod Stewart song. 
I spent the first verse wondering why Janet would take on a song that pretty much everyone universally knows when all the originals on this album are legitimately better compositions. And then she started playing around with pronouns. And sometimes the recipient of the shared night is a man, sometimes a she, and according to some interpretations, both at once. Likely this is what the gossip rags were having such a field day with at the time. There's next to no move that would have been more controversial for America's sweetheart to make at the time, and it's a strong statement for Janet to make with such a wide audience. And remember, this is 1997. Being applauded for nearly any type of genuine coming out regarding sexual fluidity wasn't nearly as common, and frankly, Janet could use a big round of applause for... Well, doing so and still keeping us guessing, but on another note, blurring the lines of whichever gender is catching Janet's fancy at the time, it's pretty much the most interesting thing about a rather tepid cover of a famous yet comparatively weak cover. The move itself is brilliant. The song is one that I still question how on earth it initially reached such height of popularity. Thankfully, there's a Pretty quick recovery with a superb slow jam called I Get Lonely, and the track that was surely the talk around most water coolers at the time, Rope Burn. Sure, people make jokes like sticks and stones may break my bones, but whips and chains excite me all the time, and they've done so for years, but in actuality, most only dabble in bondage play once or twice. It's not to say that one needs to be a lifer to have any BDSM cred, but few dabblers would dedicate five minutes on their new blockbuster album to a celebration of being tied up for erotic purposes, and they certainly weren't doing a ton of this in major records in 1997. And Janet would take it a step further in her concerts. She'd take an unsuspecting audience member, bind their wrist to a chair, give the type of seductive and sultry dance that, well only Janet Jackson could give, and even on some occasions, close the routine by kissing the bound audience member on the lips. It works exceptionally well, but it's best that we don't think about how well that would have gone down if the genders had been flipped. Janet's got the market cornered on the musical side of the romantic end of the BDSM spectrum, and even the most vanilla audience member would be jealous with tracks like this. And like the last album, she hides a slightly more upbeat song at the very end. This time around, we get the track Can't Be Stopped. It covers much of the same ground as the first half of the record already had, and the song's fine, but it just didn't really need to be here. But it still works by bringing things full circle with a bit of empowerment, containing lines like, Sisters, stay strong, and don't let anyone tell you you're not strong enough. Basically, The Velvet Rope is an R&B masterpiece. Hell, it's just a masterpiece in general. And as much of the last 21 years of pop-flavored R&B and bubblegum soul have been styled after pretty much everything that happens on these grooves. It's one of the most important records in the history of Western music, and it's a fact I'll argue pretty much any time with anyone. That's not to say there aren't a slew of other influential records in this vein, but Velvet Rope is the template that most pop and R&B albums continue to return to as a template, whether it's in placement of skits, subject matter, or just the vibe of the restrained, jazzy side of it, or the way that Janet continues to push her most understated grooves as the biggest singles. And if Control was Janet's official coming out party, Velvet Rope is Janet coming out of the last decade's cocoon with the knowledge that she 
owns this genre now. As a matter of fact, if pop R&B is your everyday jam, you might shrug off the album on first listen, since you've heard this type of record a number of times by now, no doubt, but The Velvet Rope is why you're hearing those albums and themes in the first place. Thank your lucky squids that this album was successful. Can you imagine if this was poorly received and Janet might have had to walk back on some of these daring moves? If you like popular music at all in 2018, you've pretty much got Janet Jackson and The Velvet Rope to thank for that. gone on at length about how I believe that The Velvet Rope is an untouchable R&B pop soul classic and potentially is to urban music as OK Computer is to alternative rock. You and I have never actually spoke about The Velvet Rope. I don't know. For all I know, you're about to hit me with another gasp like when you mentioned <laughs> that, again, wasn't your top jam. So... You could blow on my this mind album, right now. My, on this album, my low light is uh, again, again. I'm just <laughs> no, so, no. Velvet, Velvet Rope is a tour de force, in my opinion, of what she was what she was doing because Janet likes to take breaks, man. She likes to take long breaks in between records. She lives a little bit of life. She comes back, and you 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 figure out where she's at at that point. So what I can recall from that period is hearing Got Till It's Gone and was like, okay, that's that's interesting. Like, that was a new sound for her. You know, like, it had more of the, you know, makings of the more modern sort of like Jay Dilla-esque, Soul, Soul Aquarian sort of sound going. A sound that was very much of the day, very much of the youth, but at the same time, she made it her own. You know what I mean? So... It still had that signature Janet Jackson stamp on it. At the time when the record came out, I didn't buy the record because all my friends had the record. It was just everywhere. Didn't have to pick it up. You know? And that's how big this thing actually that's, was at the time. Like you, This was still in that period of time where uh, a neighborhood could be so dialed into a record that you walk down the street and you literally hear it coming out of three different windows. Indeed. And there were two albums in the fall of 98 that were like that. That would be this album, The Velvet Rope, and also um, Equimini by Outkast. Oh, for sure. Those two albums I recall the most from that period. And they were just played everywhere. But, you know, on the on the R&B and um, pop side, we got, you know, Janet doing her thing. And then even Outkast was on the pop side. It was like they both kind of, well, Janet was already ingratiated in the pop. Outkast was just getting in there. But with the Velvet Rope, it's like more, the more singles that came off of it, Together Again, like, you know, that single was large, large, Oh, yeah, large. and it's still, like, her most played yeah. song on Spotify yeah, to this day. It's, it's the one that, like, I think everybody really, like, you know, like, if you're old school, you, you, you'll you be like, oh, yeah, what have you done for me lately? Or you, you'll pick something old school, but together again, I think everybody can resoundingly say that's one of, like, the tracks that, like, she is worldwide known for. Um, we Go Deep, 
Monster Jam. Oh, <laughs> like just the synth bass on that song alone is a, just give me the instrumental real quick, you know, and give me the acapella with the Janet vocals later, you know. I need to buy the single. I'm sure that exists. What about that? Yeah, about, that song. That I mean, song. it was a showstopper in the Velvet Rope tour. If you've seen that video, but on yeah. the record, when you don't see it coming, you've had a lot of real smooth stuff. Yeah. What about Roundhouse kicks you in the face? That Roundhouse kicks you in the face. Like, there's there's something to be said about the Jackson family, and when they start cursing on records, it always shocks. Like, I, I, I've never seen it happen like with any other group before. I've seen groups like not have any bad language in a record, and then they drop a few bombs, and you're like, yeah, whatever. You know, Prince was known for dropping bombs. It was almost shocking when he stopped. But with any Jackson record, anytime they drop something, you're just like, oh, not you guys. You know, like, I remember, what was it? It was Scream, which, you know, Janet was on, um, and, and the, the stop fucking with me part. But I'm just like, did I really hear that? It was like almost like I almost wore that little part out just because I couldn't believe it. Jackson was cursing. So, and then here she is on Velvet Rope with, like, say, uh, she didn't, you didn't fuck her, but she gave you head. Yeah, like uh, that's, it, I mean, and that's shocking just because the way it's saying is kind of like, you know, off the beat a little bit. So, you know, like it's kind of like got a little bit of a shuffle to it. So you're just like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? And like, you know, you just want to go, who hurt you, Janet? Who hurt you? I need to find them. From that to like Free Zone, and that song is another one that's pretty dope. And just, yeah, Rope Burn, I Get Lonely, like, yeah, there's this album is chock full of hits. <laughs> I believe that this is a masterpiece with one misstep, and that misstep, though I see how important it was at the time to do because of the way that Janet played with pronouns, was her cover of Tonight's the Night. Yeah. That's the part where I'm like, shocking at the time, but right now, is this, did this hold up? And to me, it didn't. I thought it was just sort of like, all right, well, okay, you wanted to cover Rod Stewart. I mean, nothing against it. Hey, it you're just, Janet Jackson, do what you want. Yeah, do what you want. I mean, anybody do what you want on your record, but at the same time, it was sort of like, why? It was just one of those things, why, like, why are we covering this song? It, was, it, it didn't make sense to me why it was on the record. But at the same time, I'm not usually a person who's judging why stuff's on a record. I usually just, what you give me, Okay, I'm, I'm in for the ride, but it just seems a little out of place. Once you get into referencing that she's gonna spend the night, I understand that Janet knew that this album was gonna end up in millions of households and a lot of households that would probably, probably be pretty homophobic. So yes, breaking down the doors, but my enjoyment of the record, yeah. I didn't sign up for a Rod Stewart song when I dropped the needle on Velvet Rope. Indeed. And the least baby-making thing I can think of is Rod Stewart. <laughs> yeah, like <right>. maybe, <laughs> maybe some records by Meshuggah, like that might be slightly less baby making music but weirdly like Rod Stewart just seems like a turn off oh man hey like the album says blondes have more fun <laughs> but no I mean I feel you I agree totally on that like yeah I wasn't I wasn't on the the, the, the Rod Stewart train for, for, for Janet Jackson either if you think about it you just see the title and be like oh it says tonight's tonight and there's so many songs called tonight's the night <laughs> or she's just making up a new song called tonight's the night and you're like alright I'm used to that being a, a song title, you know, and then all of a sudden you're like, no, you're okay, that's right, okay. Uh, everything I knew from Velvet Rope until this project, I knew piecemeal. I didn't yeah. know uh, that all this stuff was in one place, and I'd heard Tonight's the Night 
And that, uh, to me, is actually like its biggest sin, that it's sitting next to all this genius game-changing material. And yes, it had a job to do, and it probably did that job really well, but it it doesn't really help the replayability factor. Indeed, indeed, it does not. You know, it's 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 on the. I wouldn't say it's necessarily on the skip list. All depends on if I'm in the mood for it. It's one of those things where it's sort of like if I'm listening to the whole experience, sure, I'll, I'll I'll run through it all. But like that one usually kind of eludes me. <laughs> I'm Mark with a C. Thanks so much for tuning in to Discography. That's going to do it for us this week. Our background music is provided by Chris Abriski. We are proud to be a part of the Consequence Podcast Network. Discography is recorded in Orlando, Florida, right here in Mark with a C's home studios, which are available to rent on the 12th of Never. But that's probably for the best. You'd get frustrated if you knew what my whole process and equipment woes were. Thank you so much for giving this season a shot. We're only halfway through Janet's discography, but it's going to get even weirder. Thanks for lending us your ears. If you're having a good time, please tell all your friends about the show. And we'll be back next week, kicking off our Janet talk with the album All For You. Mark with a C here signing off. I'll see you next time, my friends. Consequence Podcast Network. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.